0: Good morning everyone. How are we doing today? Check the time's only ten forty three. I have a lot of time up here today, so it's gonna be exciting. <laughs> excited to appreciate you guys. Normally it's like thirty minutes or something, so today's a longer time. So it's good to be here guys My name is Jacob Ardron, my wife and I Tiffany lead the college major here in LifeWay. I'm excited to be of service to you guys, and it's been a busy time in the college ministry recently. Uh, next weekend, we have our big Southwest retreats in San Diego. That should be a lot of fun. All of us registered; it's going to be great. It'll be a great time. And uh, even last night, I had a great time with our students. Also, some alumni as well. Some USC alumni I we went to go see a game um, at USC and uh, against Arizona. It was a great game. We killed Arizona. It was amazing. Like I think by thirty points or something like that. So I was really encouraged. To be with the alumni, be with the current students, the grad students, the undergrad students. It was just a great time. And some fans as well. Like my wife and I are just, we're fans. And we're excited to be at the game. So, um, a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff going on in our church as well. Very encouraged by Hilary getting baptized. She is amazing. Please go meet her. If you haven't yet, she is a gem. I'm so happy to have her here with us. So. If you guys have um, been new to church, we've been going through a series of parables lately in the life for San Gabriel Sector. And I love that we've been doing this. So we've been calling it the Stories of the Kingdom. And these are stories that are found in pretty much all the Gospels, unless your Gospel's name is John. Uh, and so it's a great time. And kind of Jesus goes through different stories that are supposed to communicate to us a spiritual insight. They will find if we just see the story and try to pick it apart. And see the themes. I've been encouraged hearing all the different parables we've been going over. This is the list so far that we've used. Uh, so right now, today is going to be the unmerciful servants. So that's going to be the story for today. Uh, please turn over to Matthew 18. We'll get there pretty soon. So I love that we're doing this because in my mind, I think parables are just straight out inspiring. And the reason why is because the Bible is also full of a lot of rules. It's not all stories. Also, there's some commands in there. Uh, many of us see the Bible as the basic instructions before leaving the earth. And so that's how we see it, there's going to be some instructions in there and some ground rules laid out by God. But I don't know about you, but rules in and of itself aren't that inspiring for me to follow. You know, it's, it's nice to have a story in there every once in a while. And so these parables are Jesus lays out for us, they're meant to inspire us to follow the rules of God. Because... We are inspired when we see people live out these stories, live out these characteristics, live out out these rules, and we're inspired when people do so righteously and things go well. And we are convicted when they do so wickedly and things don't go as well. And also, personally, for me, I'm really inspired when I see God's love played out in these parables, and they remind me of who God really is, and I'm inspired to be a better Christian, therefore. And personally, I think nothing convicts me more than when I read a parable... And I see myself in the parable And I'm not the good guy I'm, I'm the bad guy And uh, I bring it up because today I want us to try to put ourselves in this story The problem with parables though Is usually there's only a couple characters Usually one of them is supposed to be God And the other one's supposed to be us And usually God looks pretty good But we don't look as good there's only so many characters to choose from, right? And hopefully no one in the room is as self-righteous to say, okay, I'm the God character. <laughs> so if we're not that, we only have so many options to choose from. Yeah. And this parable is about lack of forgiveness. It's about the unmerciful servants. Yeah. And so, hopefully we can all agree that all of us can grow on showing more mercy and love to each other. Yeah. And that it doesn't come natural for any one of us. Right. You know, I, I really thought that I actually married who in my mind was the most naturally gracious person I've ever met. Because when she was dating me, I would do idiotic things as a boyfriend and she would forgive me, in my mind, pretty easily. Wow. But even marriage has put that gift to the test. Actually, even for my lovely wife, even it's hard for her to, be, to easily forgive me. Because I put that gift to the test many times being married. So if even my wife, it doesn't come naturally for her to forgive, I think all of us can work on being better people who are more merciful and more gracious. Amen. So with that being said, let's go to Matthew 18. And let's read how we can be more merciful in our lives. Because forgiveness is hard, amen? Alright, right. so, the parable of the, the, the unmerciful servant. Let's hop in here, Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. It reads, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So, it starts off, Peter, uh, the right-hand apostle, is actually trying to get some branding points with Jesus here. He's trying to impress him. Like, Lord, how gracious should I be? How merciful should I be? Up to seven times, forgive a brother or sister who wrongs me? And Jesus is like, no, man, 77 times. You're missing the mark here. And obviously, this is a hyperbole. Right. It's an exaggerating statement. exaggerated statements meant to make a point. So 77 is not the golden number here, guys. Don't get out on an Excel sheet and start uh, taking tallies. Yeah. That's not the point. The point is that we need to forgive. That's right. Doesn't matter how many times we're wronged. We need to be people who learn how to forgive one another. And so Jesus just laid out a ground rule. And it's difficult to implement. It's hard. So thankfully for us, he gives out a story, a parable, to help inspire us to follow this really hard rule of always being forgiving. So Matthew 18, verse 23, let's launch into this story. So it says, therefore, the king of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debts. Alright, so there's debate of how much money this is, but many articles say that a talent is worth a million dollars. Yeah, one, one bag of gold, one talent is worth a million dollars. So, if this guy owed the king 10,000 of them, that is $10 billion no. this guy owed the king. Obviously, it's another exaggeration. It's a lot of money. <laughs> 10,000 bags of gold this guy owns. And so the punishment makes kind of sense. Slavery. If you owe some guy $10 billion, it makes sense if you take some type of action to get it back. Yeah. So, him and his whole family being sold to pay the debts. Let's see what happens next. In verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Wow. So the servant just fell on his knees. He begged for the master, for the king to forgive him. And just like that, he was good to go. Wow. Wow. How would you be feeling if that happened to you? In wow. wow. one second, you owed $10 billion. And your whole family is going to slavery, and then the next second, you're good to go. No money that you owe, and your family's a-okay. You can go to Disneyland, whatever you want. That's. I would be feeling amazing, right? We'd all be feeling amazing. We would be celebrating. And want to be the best servant ever to this king. Make him breakfast in bed, uh, do the bathrooms, whatever you got to do. It would just—you'd want to be the best servant possible. To repay back this king who gave you so much mercy and so much grace. That's what I would respond. And that's how many of us would respond. But let's see how this servant chooses to celebrate here. So, verse twenty-eight. It says, "But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver, cor- silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me," he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. Verse 30. But he refused. Instead, he went up and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went out and told the master everything that had happened. Wow, that escalated quickly here, guys. That's that's incredibly intense. So the servant doesn't celebrate, doesn't throw a party, shows no gratitude for the great thing his master did for him. Instead, he immediately goats and chokes out another guy who owes him um, still a good amount of money. Some say it's $10,000, so it's not a billion, it's not $10 billion. it's still good, but he just got forgiven of $10 billion and chokes out the guy for ten grand and throws him into prison. Guys, that's drastic. And that's how that servant chose to handle that situation. And handle what he thought was his injustice by threatening someone choking them out and throwing them into jail and the other servants see that like, okay wow well, we need to report this guy because you know I borrowed this guy's donkey I mean I might get shot here so let me go report this guy and go tell the king what happens and let's see how this king responds in verse 32 then the master called the servant in you wicked servant he said I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. So he's back on the 10 (laughs) billion. So the master responds harshly the way you would think the master would. He brings up the fact that it seems ludicrous, it seems insane for this servant to be so harsh and so unmerciful yeah. on his friends when the king had just showed him so much mercy. Yeah. Why would you be this wicked? And he punished him for his severe wickedness. And Jesus ends the story by reminding us who this story is really for. It's for us, again, picture you in the story in verse 35. Verse 35. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of, us, each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And that is the parable of the un servants. And the heart of the message is what we're all thinking. Why in the world would that servant show no mercy to his fellow servants when his master showed him so much mercy? Well, in the same way, church, why would we ever show No mercy to the people around us when God has shown so much mercy to us. The problem is, like this servant, we make a big deal about the wrongs done to us. And we don't make a big enough deal about the wrongs we have done. The other problem is that we aren't nearly as grateful as we should be for all that God has done for us. Just like the servant had no gratitude for what the master did for him. So this story actually illustrates and it shows us the two points, the two steps of how we can become a more merciful person. So you guys, here it is. It's one, see yourself clearly. And number two, see God clearly. And the rest of the lesson today is going to be talking about those two points. And I hope that after today we all feel more equipped, more encouraged to go after these two things so we can become more merciful as a church and as a body of people. Amen? So. Point number one, see yourself clearly. I've already kind of started off with that point about how it's important to see yourself in a story to make sure the story is about you. I don't know about you, but many times I hear lessons and I'm like, oh, this is good for so-and-so. This is great. And as a minister, I can make that thought kind of sound a little spiritual. Because, like, oh, this would be a great Bible study for so-and-so. This would be a great midweek series for for my campus ministry. And not, not all that's bad, it's good for me to gain inspiration from other people and other lessons, but I first got to let the lesson hit me. I first got to see myself clearly, and if the this, if this story, if the Bible is pointing out things in my character that I need to work on. And so today we're going to talk about that, just seeing yourself clearly, what does that mean, and how can we do that? Because this is something that all of us can be weak to, all of us can have blind spots that we don't see clearly. And this is just a huge important step for us to be merciful. Because if, we are, if we're walking around thinking we're high and mighty and everything's great, it's easy for us to see the flaws of everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. But if we accept that we're broken, we don't care as much about the cracks in other people's lives. Because we got stuff to fix. Where yeah. if we're a new car, we're looking at everything else and seeing how bad everyone else's life is and we're all perfect. So everyone is... Not immune to this. We all, we all can fall under this trap of thinking that we're great, and other people got stuff to work on it. Even King David and I want to count just in here to read another example about a guy named David who had a problem and couldn't see it clearly. He couldn't see himself clearly in this story, because he was just to being the hero. And guys honestly, I think a lot of this comes down to we just don't like the idea of us being the bad guy in our story. We want to be the hero. It's nice to be the hero. And David was the hero of his own story. He is David and Goliath. He's that guy. He's the guy that conquered many kingdoms. He right now is the king of all of Israel, a united Israel, that is the mightiest in all the lands. He's wealthy. He is the hero of his own story. But he became a bad guy. If you guys don't know the story, he saw a woman named Bathsheba. He slept with her. That woman was married. And he got her pregnant. Then he chose to try to cover it up by having the husband come back home and sleep with his wife. When that didn't work out, he had that husband killed. So he committed adultery and murder in a couple weeks. And he couldn't face the fact that he became the bad guy. And so God had to send someone in his life named Nathan to break the news to him. So i want to read that story. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Let's see how Nathan helped David see himself clearly. So it reads, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrains from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. So it's a pretty simple story. Kind of messed up. Rich guy has a lot of sheep, a lot of cattle. Poor guy has only one. And the rich guy takes the one little small lamb from the guy he has only one and butchers it and prepares it for a visitor so it's kind of messed up right yeah, yeah. because you can visualize the movie visualize the story it sounds really wicked and that guy clearly is the bad guy right, right. and the other poor man he's the victim of the story mm-hmm. let's see how David responds to this story so verse 5 David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan as surely as the Lord lives the man who did this must die he must pay for the lamb four times over Because he did such a thing, it had no pity. That's a pretty harsh reaction there by David. He wants to kill the man, and then somehow resurrect him and have him pay it back four times. (laughs) That's his plan here. (laughs) Not that great of a plan, but either way, David is pretty heated. And he wants justice for this poor man. Because it's easy to stand up for justice when someone else is the bad guy. (laughs) Even though it's really obvious that the whole reason Nathan is given this, it's a made up story. The story is about David. He's a rich man, he's the king of Israel. He's the one that has all the wealth, all the power. He even has many, many, many wives. But he chose to take the one wife of one of his soldiers and then he killed that same soldier. So actually, the story is not even all that comparable because David's been so much worse. One guy stole another guy's pet sheep. Another guy committed murder, murder and adultery. That, that's, the sins aren't even comparable, but David was enraged at that guy's sin. And he had no indignation of his own personal sin. Because it's so easy to be passionate, to be riled up when you see other people being unjust. But it's so hard when it's you, when you're the bad guy. You guys, can we relate? I think we live in a culture where we have all these TV shows, all these games, all these sports, uh, all these Yelp reviews, and it's so easy to be a critic, so easy to get enraged when your contestant doesn't get voted on American Idol or The Voice or X Factor, whatever we got going on nowadays, when your team doesn't win, it's easy to point, blame the ref, all these things, but it's so hard for us to see that in ourselves. No wonder it's so hard for us to forgive each other everyone else is the bad guy and you're the good guy in the story and that's just the reality Guys, we don't care if we truly get this and see ourselves clearly if we see ourselves as broken people we don't care as much when people step on us because we're already broken and that's fine I'm already a mess, it's okay I love you, I forgive you but when you're the hero no one wants the hero to get stepped on so guys, we've got to see ourselves clearly. What sins have we committed? What type of character do we have? Do we have blind spots? Do we have weaknesses? we got to see those things clearly if we're going to be able to turn this around and be someone who can be merciful to other people. So, luckily for David, Nathan, David still can't see it, but Nathan makes it very clear for him after this moment here. So let's see what happens. In verse 7, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man! This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you, king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah, and if all that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down your eye the Hittites with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despised me and took the wife of your the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. So there you go, David. You get the picture now? Can I make it any more clear to you? You are the man. You are the bad guy. You're so blind as so I have to just tell you straight up you're the guy who committed these atrocious sins. And there will be punishment for your actions. You have an enemy who comes from your household, actually turns out to be his son in Absalom, who will come out, will stand up against you, drive you out of your kingdom, and sleep with your wives in broad daylight. More than that, the son born to you will die. And that is the punishment for your action. It's harsh punishment for a harsh sin. But the good thing, though, is that David finally gets it. He finally becomes broken. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And this is a turning point in his life and he becomes a better man from here on out. And David finally gets it because someone had to break the news to him. You know, I think it's hard for a lot of us to see our own weaknesses and our own sins. I think both the parable and this story show us how important it is to have people in our lives who can come into our stories to speak the truth and love and help us see that sometimes we're the bad guy in our own stories. Mm. And I know that I need that in my life. I am a work in progress. I am far from perfect. Amen. And I need people to help me see myself more clearly. Yeah. Especially me because in my own Jacob Fancy world, to be honest, Jacob Rodron's pretty perfect. <laughs> and I got a lot going on, guys. It's... It's pretty nice up here in my head sometimes. You know? Just to give you guys a picture, when I was first coming to New York as a freshman at Columbia, I was in such a bad place that one of the senior college students had to sit me down and said, Jacob, he rebuked me and said, Jacob, now on, you can no longer say you're awesome. You say it way too much. Going forward, I don't want to hear it again. You sound arrogant and prideful. Let other people tell you that you're so awesome. But for now, you showed up. (laughs) That's who I was freshman year in college. And that's still who I could be in my inner sin. And I was even worse in high school, guys. I'll give you guys a little story here. My dad had to constantly put me in my place and help me see who I truly was. One time, junior year of high school, I decided to plagiarize this ginormous project. And I got caught. Wasn't jarred I just copied and pasted from different articles. And uh, I think some of the words were even like not even English, they were like Latin or Greek or so. I, no, I wouldn't know, I didn't read it. So I just copy and paste and I just I got caught. And guys, there, there was some serious punishment. I got sent to the principal's office and I got suspended for a day. And there might have been even more punishments, but I didn't just kind of change my behavior and all that. And um, keep in mind, this is my junior year. I got baptized two years earlier. I was a straight A student, honor students, the captain of the varsity football team. And me getting caught sadly did not humble me. The next day I went to my in school suspension. They announced it over the intercom. Jacob Ardron reports a room two oh two and that's the that's the room, that's the bad room. (laughs) And I just I went and uh, I came in so bitter. And when I, when I walked in, I became so judgmental, just like that. Maybe like five or six other people in the room. I didn't know their names, never met them before, didn't know their story, but it didn't stop me from writing their own story in my head. Those were the people who belonged in this room. Those were the potheads, those were the partiers, those were the ones who were skipping class. They were the ones failing their life, not me. I don't belong here. I'm just passing through. I spent the whole day in my hoodie, hoodie on, to myself, not talking to anyone, being incredibly judgmental, incredibly self-righteous, and not learning my lesson. Wow. My dad picked me up that day, and I decided, with brilliance, to tell him all that was going on in my mind, and how I was feeling that day, and um, he just let me have it. He was like, Jake, what do you mean you didn't belong there? what did you do to get there? You plagiarized. That's a big deal. People get kicked out of college for stuff like that. You messed up. You got suspended. You are no better than anyone else in that room. That room is where you belong that day. And I saw myself clearly. And I got it for that day. And I'm very grateful that my dad was able to speak the truth from love to me. In church, in many ways, I'm still the same guy. I'm still the same high school teenager with the Jacob we we world to saying that I'm so awesome, I'm so awesome. And what Sad, says, now I bring that stuff into my marriage, and it, it does not help me be a forgiving husband. I make a big deal my wife wrongs me, and I can laugh, smirk, and shrug off the wrongs I do to her. And so I'm so grateful to have men in my life like Jose Rodriguez who can help me on my marriage and call me out to be a better husband. Not just being a husband, but call me out to be a better leader, because I'm not some all-star campus minister right now. I have a lot to work on. Marty, I'm grateful for you for our breakfasts sometimes. You get to call me out and uh, help coach me up how to be a better minister and a better man, a better husband. Amen. And even students, when you guys are bold enough and courageous enough, I'm looking after you guys to, to challenge me. Guys, I'm grateful because I need that. Amen. It's hard for me to see myself clearly sometimes. And now, church, you now heard three stories of three different men Amen. who have had a hard time seeing themselves clearly. With unmerciful Servants, with David and now me. Guys, how about us? How about you? Do you see your flaws? Do you see your weaknesses? Do you need help? Guys, I know I need continuous help to see myself clearly. Because if I can't be broken, I can't see other people in a good light. If I'm flawless, everyone else has got flaws. The first step in being merciful is seeing who you truly really are and seeing that clearly. So, I encourage all of us to get some Nathan's in your lives, guys. To get some people who can really talk to you, challenge you, point out your blind spots, encourage you to be better. Because we can't be better if we don't see what we, can, what we have to work on. And I know through personal experience that the best versions of myself, the days I feel grace about who I truly am before God, are the days that I see the worst in me. Because when I see those things, I can see the best in other people. And it makes me better. And it also helps me be grateful. That God still loves me in spite of my sin, and that leads to the second point, which is really important. After we see ourselves clearly, we gotta see God clearly, and that's huge. That's really important because if we don't take that second step, we're just in a pity party. We're just sad, and we're just about all of our sin, all of our mess ups, and we're just discouraged all the time. We gotta see that God still loves us in spite of those things, and that's how we become forgiving and become merciful. So, Psalms fifty-one. The good thing is David saw that even with all this sin in his space, he still was able to see God through those things. Psalms 51 is an amazing psalm because during that psalm, it was right after Nathan confronted him. So David now sees who he truly is. I am a huge sinner, but he was still able to go to God during that time and see who God was, even with all of his baggage and all of his sin. So Psalms 51 verse 1 it reads Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and just started when you judge. This is a great example of somebody who can see themselves clearly, but still see God on the horizon. But God is still compassionate, he still loves, and he still can forgive. Because David's obviously feeling very broken right now. He says his sin is always before him, and it's weighing very heavily on him right now. But he still believes that God can wash it away because of his unfailing love and his great compassion. And I think we've got to ask ourselves, guys, do we really believe this? Do we believe that in spite of all of our wretched, wicked sin, that God still loves us and wants to forgive us and can forgive us Mm -hmm. and wash away all of our iniquities and all of our transgressions? Do we believe that? I think we ought to ask ourselves, and do you feel it? Some of us have been Christians for a long time. Are you still encouraged by your sin being forgiven? And some of us haven't made that choice to go all in yet with God. Have you grasped and thought about how amazing it can be to feel forgiven by God? Completely. All your sins, all your regrets washed out like a snow. Yeah. Do you feel that? Mm-hmm. You know, I think when I have a hard time seeing the picture clearly, when I have a hard time seeing God clearly, it's so important for me to go back to Scripture and remind myself of who God is. Of who God is. And that's really the solution for both of these problems. Right. Is open your ears. If you have a hard time seeing things clearly... Get a different perspective. Hear more people if you can 't see yourself clearly, go and ask your friends to be an Nathan for you and point out your flaws. if you can 't see God clearly it 's time to listen to god 's word again and meditate reflect, have more and more scriptures that inspire you to build back up your faith that God does love me, He does forgive me in spite of all my sins. as you saw one hundred three the later half is one of my favorite passages for this exact reason, so i want to read that for you guys. Um, Let's here Psalm 103, um, let's we'll skip to the verse 8. On, Psalms 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far from he has removed our transgressions from us. How can you not be encouraged reading this passage, guys? It's amazing. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. That is incredible. I uh, love verse eleven through twelve. It's, I kind of picture you know how as a kid they say, "I love you this much It's a two foot wingspan." It's okay, great. I get a whole two feet of love. That's awesome. It's the way De- David measures God's love is it's there is no measurements. It's as high as the heavens are above the earth. We can't measure that. That's how great His love is for us. Amen. And how much He's willing to forgive us as far as the east is from the west. That's forever. There's no distance for that. Right. That's not a two-foot man, guys. That's an incredible, over love and grace. And that's who God is. And that's who we got to see when we see God we gotta see ourselves clear, clearly and then see God clearly for who he is that he wants to forgive and he can forgive as far as the east is from the west you know what's cool is that David we don't, the unmerciful servant never gets it he just stays the unmerciful servant but David gets this concept here and it's amazing to read his story and see how he becomes more gracious by first seeing himself clearly and then seeing God clearly for time's sake, we won't read this story, but in 2 Samuel chapter 16, you guys read this down if you guys are taking notes. 2 Samuel chapter 16, he has an encounter where David shows how much he has changed. How he's become a merciful and gracious king because of what's happened in his life. What happens is that his son, Absalom, rises up, drives him out from his kingdom, and David is running for his life. But as David flees... He's being followed by a guy named Shammai. And in 2 Samuel 16, Shammai starts to throw rocks at him, kick dirt in his face, and curse him. He says, you murderer and you scoundrel, get away from here. That's a good way to die. (laughs) He's insulting and cursing a king. David's still the king. He's running for his life, but he still has a band of his mighty men with him. And there's a guy that has the audacity to go and curse David to his face, throw rocks at him, and pelt him with dirt. That guy's got a lot of courage. And his men with him say, David, let me go cut his head off. Like, what are we doing here? You're the king. How dare someone curse you and throw rocks at you? But you know what David says? He says, my son my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. David just brushes it off. God, I, I've been a lot wrong. My son wants to kill me. Who cares about this guy? I forgive him. Mercy. Just carry on. It's no big deal. That's a king saying that about this guy. This random dude just throwing rocks at him. And the guy just keeps on throwing rocks and curses and dirt throughout the entire road trip. And David's like, it's whatever. It's not a big deal. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. And he ends by saying, you know, maybe God will see me and he'll, he'll grant me success and blessings in the future. He just goes back to God. That's David's response to this man throwing rocks at him. And he's king. Guys, that is inspiring and incredibly impressive. And David got it. He was able to see that, hey, I am a messed up guy. I got to work on me. And right now I'm getting my just punishment, so so be it. doesn't matter if I get stepped on. I, I, I got stuff to work on. We all do. Let me just go back to God and walk with him. And I'm sure God will take care of it. Amen. And the story continues. I want to close by reading Micah 6 verse 8 because I think it does a great job kind of summarizing this entire story. It's one of my favorite scriptures. And so Micah 6 verse 8 God reminds us of how he wants us to live. It says He has shown you, O Myrtle, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Church in closing God does want us to act righteously. Don't just sin for no reason. Act, try, try to be righteous, amen. amen? Try to act justly. But when you do mess up, realize that, hey, I messed up. In this moment, I'm the bad guy. And there's other bad guys, we're all bad guys at some points in our life. No one's story is perfect. So in those moments, let me love mercy. Let me love giving out to those who wrong me. And let me love accepting it when I wrong God and other people. Let me try to act righteously. But when mess ups happen, let me love Mercy. For myself and for others. And let me continue going back to God who loves me, is going to forgive me, and walk humbly with him all my life. Church, let's strive to be this man. Mm -hmm. Let's strive to be this woman who can see ourselves clearly, see God clearly, and choose to be merciful servants of God, not unmerciful. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. You guys have a great day. You're dismissed.